You're listening to Flip This Risk, where it's time for a new conversation about risk management. From the boardroom all the way to the barbershop down the street, you can overcome fear of risk and thrive. Join your host, Dr. Karen Hardy, for candid conversations with industry leaders from across the globe. Dr. Karen brings her experience as an industry thought leader, best-selling author, and Apex Award winner to each episode. On the forefront of today's risk management strategies, helping leaders from small and large businesses overcome risk and feel confident in their choices. Let's start the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Karen Hardy, and welcome to Flip This Risk Podcast, where we interview high achievers about their relationship with risk-taking and how that really influences their leadership resiliency. You can find out more about our podcast at flipthisriskpodcast.com. And uh, today I have with me Mr. David Harris. Now, David is a Seattle-based design researcher on the Experience Collective team at Microsoft. And today we're going to have a conversation about a management practice, I believe, uh, known as human-centered design. We're going to talk about the what it is, how it's used, how it can be used to help make us uh, help us uh, manage business better within our organization. So, David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Listen, hey, I feel like I have a rock star. I'm talking to a rock star right now. I read your bio about your background when it comes to design research and all these these other things and how you've worked with, I mean, Microsoft in Seattle. That's a big deal for, you know, for folks like me on the East Coast. Um, but you're, you're right in the middle of in working with a giant when it comes to technology. So I'm curious to know, and my audience probably is too, we hear a lot about human-centered design, uh, human-centered leadership. All these terms are starting to bubble up. What exactly is going on uh, so that I'm actually hearing this term more often than not? Yeah, I think the term really reply, uh, applies to a certain methodology or way of thinking. Um, we say human-centered. That means that, simply put, you're going to real humans, real people, getting their feedback um, on a particular design process, product or service and uh, interpreting their feedback and applying that to help improve that said product, service or uh, or process. But wouldn't we already doing that in business practice? I, I mean, we it wasn't absent people where we were concerned about how they felt. What, what difference is it now? Is it just being you know, is it just a popularity thing right now? There's something that seems to be, you know, resurging or is this something yeah. brand new or something we've already been doing and it's changed a bit? I think the appetite for uh, things that are more personalized and adaptive to real people's needs is increasing. And um, as businesses respond to that, there needs to be certain, I think, processes and ways of thinking that are instilled that are standardized. Um, so maybe in the past, there might have been surveys. Um, what happens with the results of those surveys, we don't know. But by following a particular practice, it might ensure that from the top down that this way of thinking and these processes can't be standardized or um, propagated through an organization. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that you mentioned surveys because who, 
who hasn't been uh, uh, on the end, on the back end of a survey? You, you sent right. out a list of questions, you answer it, and you wonder what happens to all that feedback. Is it that that tool, in terms of surveys, really didn't get the result we've been looking for all these years? And what is it that HCD does that surveys don't do? Well, the background of the human-centered design process takes into account several other types of fields of study, I believe you could say, uh, from anthropology to psychology um, and even design as well. And really thinking about um, not just uh, what people are, are doing, but also observing how they're feeling uh, about certain things. Um, so that's where the psychology of things comes, comes into play. And then that observation piece of really being able to read between the lines and um, to extract insights um, out of information uh, that might come from multiple different sources. So we talked about surveys and that's definitely a common thing that we're all familiar with, but there's lots of other ways to gain insights from uh, what people are, are doing or thinking, um, saying or even not saying um, that, that we can use and um, take those insights and help um, make decisions. Um, so maybe sometimes you might get some feedback and some insights from that feedback and you might decide that we're not going to make any improvements or we're not going to change the way we're, we're doing things, but at least you have something to um, make you more confident in the, that decision that you make. It makes you more confidence in knowing that you've tapped into the insights, opinions, ideas of the end user. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Okay, so the people who are users of your product or of a service, whatever you're delivering to them, you bring them closer to the process. You, you, you draw them closer to you to make sure you're including um, the, the way they operate or the way they see the world. Because I'm assuming that anyone who engages in HCD methods, they see the world one way and users see the world another way. Right, I think it's very important to, um, as we're observing um, people, uh, we check our own kind of assumptions and, and biases. Um, a lot of times, many things were created, designed, engineered in a vacuum, and maybe there's a lot of assumptions about uh, what people want or what, what they're doing. Um, by bringing real people and what, what they're saying or doing into the process, we can have uh, more solid um, understanding and data of the, the context of, of what's going on. And we're able to um, check check that against our own biases and assumptions as well. Mm -hmm. Because we all have biases and assumptions, even in our, and that's, that's not a bad thing either. I'm just saying we all have biases and assumptions in our own skill set, own body of knowledge, our own comfort level, things like that, right? Um, exactly. So it, it sounds interesting because it seems to me that because people are engaging more in human-centered design, or I assume they are, organizations are, that means you have to have a, a, a stronger skills in people. And, and dealing with people, how is that coming along in, in organizations? Do you think? I mean, that's a that's a whole different skill set. <laughs> yeah, I, I think just as with any other type of discipline or role, um, when we have 
a more uh, diverse uh, set of people that are creating, designing, and think about these things or researching um, what people are doing, we have uh, a, a better understanding and context of um, what people might want or what what that those insights might be. Uh, so again, we talked about biases, we all have them. Um, and by bringing in different viewpoints and people from different backgrounds and perspectives in the research process, but also in the design and engineering or um, mm -hmm. policymaking um, aspects of, of, um, of that process, uh, we can better ensure that we're um, putting up those biases against uh, more uh, diverse set of views. Mm -hmm. So you're being a design researcher on the Experience Collective team at, at Microsoft. Are you seeing or have you seen a big difference uh, in terms of productivity by instituting ACD into processes? I mean, what's the what's the real big benefit at the end that I can actually measure? If I do HCD, then the outcome would be this versus, I mean, is it that big of a difference based on if I don't use ACD? That's a great question. I think one of the big shifts we're seeing right now in kind of the user experience kind of realm is a democratization of these types of practices where uh, it's not just the people whose specific role it is to do um, user experience research or uh, design or getting feedback. Um, but they're really preparing um, everyone at all different types of levels in an organization to do some of these same things. Um, when, when that happens, you know, the, the quality can, can be a little different than mm -hmm. someone whose, um, you know, specific role it is to, to do those things. But um, it does increase uh, understanding um, and context of users or, or people or customers um, that are related to to those organizations um, and the, the people that are carrying out the role, the work in, in those different roles um, are then able to um, use that, that understanding, um, you know, even as a competitive advantage. And um, I think, you know, even at companies like mine and other tech companies, they, they understand that. And that's why you see uh, um, not just, you know, one or two, uh, roles as uh, research, but also whole teams of, of researchers, um, user experience researchers, user researchers, design researchers, as they're called, uh, to think about some of these things. And um, those those uh, people like myself and, and jobs like mine are also teaching others how, how to do that as well. So um, there's an aspect in, in my role of um, not only carrying out research, but also um, sometimes teaching um, others and in, in across disciplines how, how to do that as, as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as I said before, it seems to be a boom. But well, why now? Do you think the the discussion around ACD and the utilization of ACD now is becoming even more popular? Is that a result of the pandemic? Is that a post-in thing that has started to develop or was it already there? Is it uh, influenced by remote workers? I mean, what exactly is pushing this new revitalized effort around HCD? Well, I think with the proliferation of startups and companies that are able to really quickly adapt to people's needs, 
um, customers and people that are using, whether it's software um, or services or different products, they're becoming, um, they're expecting, I should say, to, to have an experience that is, uh, like I said, personalized, customized even, or adaptable to, to their needs. And um, organizations and, and um, businesses that aren't incorporating some of those practices to help uh, adapt to people's experiences are just not making a cut. So I think mm -hmm. it's really from customer and consumer demand. Um, and, you know, whether it's in government or like it's a government or an app that you're using, people know the difference between a great experience and a bad experience. And that line has been been drawn. Um, so you mentioned the pandemic, you know, so many different ways we have to shift to whether it's getting our groceries or um, moving around the city. Uh, and some of the, the services that we've had, uh, you know, we didn't have the top, uh, we couldn't tolerate some of the, the things that we might have used uh, used to in the past. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that's very interesting. So let's put this into a context. That is, I know you talked about business, you talked about government, you talked about um, customer experience, you know, how they feel going through a process or how they feel when it comes to utilizing a process or a product that you produce within an organization. Let's talk about problem solving though. You mentioned one area in terms of policy. How, give me an example of how ACD can help with policy and policy de development. How do you envision that? Yeah, well, in my background working in government, the city of Seattle, um, there were different ways that we could, um, instead of just you know creating policies, regulations, or um, sometimes even in laws uh, in a vacuum, there's definitely uh, there were mechanisms for talking to to constituents and citizens um, and making sure that their their voices are heard. But uh, where we move in the spectrum of just kind of listening um, and maybe incorporating things that we've heard to the other end of really um, participatory type of uh, methods of not just getting feedback, but also having the people that were in, in are affected by some of these uh, these regulations or um, policies involved in in the the research and involved mm -hmm. in the um, the policy making as well. So I think there there's a kind of a spectrum of, of what can happen there, and I think the the, the ultimate um, and probably sometimes the hardest way to to do that is really have the people that are um, at the at the other end of some of these policies are actually involved in in, in what's mm -hmm. what's uh, what's happening, um, but I think really it just you know some of the same uh, methodologies and practices that you see in in, in software and um, and technology companies can be applied uh, just as just as well in in government as well, so. Uh, observation and um, surveys uh, and um, really being able to synthesize insights and then coming back to the people that you've talked to and um, checking biases and, and assumptions and um, incorporating some of those things in the, the end product or service. You're listening to Flip This Risk Podcast with Dr. Karen Hardy, and we'll be right back with more great conversation after this.
Do you want to write a book but don't know where to start? No worries, we've got you covered. Become a published risk management author with Flip This Risk Books. Flip This Risk Books is an international award-winning book series written by industry subject matter experts and practitioners, just like you. Want to build your professional brand and authority in the field? Write a chapter for our next book series. Visit flipthisriskbooks.com. You know, one thing, just listening to you, I can I can honestly see how someone who's an expert in an area can make assumptions about their customers. For instance, I know you've been schooling yourself on risk management, <laughs> uh, you know, um, prior to our talking today. But risk management is one of those areas where what I, where I found that if I had known about HCD, what I know now, I would have incorporated the ACD methods into my approach for, you know, um, socializing and implementing uh, enterprise risk management within an organization. And I think you hit the nail, hit the nail right on the head in terms of uh, asking end users questions, bring them to the table at the design phase, because I know there's phases to this and methods, Mm -hmm. but during the discovery phase and the design phase where you're uh, doing research and understanding what their needs are, it sounds very emotional intelligency. <laughs> a lot of emotional intelligence is involved here, and I think a lot of people from the technical from their technical expertise they really rely heavily on technical expertise to do what we probably need to involve HCD in. Does that sound about right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that's. You hit the nail on the head when you talked about emotional intelligence. Um, going back to what people want out of their experiences, it's definitely an, an emotional uh, aspect to it. Um, so again, when when things are uh, created in a technical vacuum, um, void of emotion um, and understanding how people actually might experience something, um, then you know we get some experiences that that feel like they've been um, absent of of emotion. And uh, I'm really glad you you brought that up. Um, just talking about the the various phases of discovery and um, design and implementation. Um, another aspect that you know, haven't mentioned yet is just prototyping. Um, mm. So uh, been a part of many pilots in, in my government days, and I think um, those are just an, another type of um, I think. Uh, another way to say prototyping, and when we think of things like that. Um, and kind of compare it to other industries where they're able to prototype really fast um, or, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes o- over time, um, but really completing that that loop um, and um, under- seeking to understand and, and get that emotional aspect um, of what people are doing and saying, but also what they're thinking and feeling as well. You know, it's interesting because in the public sector space, and that's where you know, my expertise is in, I, I do know that we love to put things in draft. Everything is a draft and it stays in draft forever. If we really don't get to the prototype piece, actually, I think we skip over prototyping, just go mm-hmm. to, this is a requirement. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I think that maybe that's something we need to really think about. So in, in terms of risk management, you know, enterprise risk management is looking at risk across an organization and we have positions 
dedicated to helping leadership make decisions strategically based on that uh, those lists in, uh, in, in the um, inventory of risk across an organization. That's the chief risk officer. And uh, I can see how a, a chief risk officer or a CRO may use or oversee the HCD function to help bring about a little bit more connection between leadership and buy-in when it comes to using risk management as a tool um, to help the organization perform a little bit more. Do people need more training in this area to understand first what HCD is and how it differs from other things? Is that something you think is a necessity? I do think training is, is always good. Um, training to understand the important pieces of the process um, because at the end of the day, it would have to be adapted to what um, an organization's capacity is to, to execute some of those things, as well as um, you know how it might integrate into uh, processes that they already have, mm -hmm. um, how it might best integrate. So um, training is, is a, I think, a good way of understanding how this methodology might fit inside of their organization and be customized for that. Um, and understanding where what trade-offs might need to be made. Um, I mentioned, uh, for instance, democratization of, of research and, and understanding of customers uh, could happen. And, you know, understanding like the, the trade-off and quality um, versus, you know, democratization versus someone who's um, actually focused on, on that. Um, so definitely a, a good idea to, to train for that. And just, like I said, understand how it could be integrated into um, one's uh, one's day to day, um, and then also, I think that um, it's it's always a journey. I think this is a a growing field because people are are always changing, and mm -hmm. there might be new uh, new ways and new methods and new new things to to try out. Um, so even myself as, as a practitioner always has to uh, be looking for different ways to. Um, improve my craft. Um, another aspect of this is, you know, you might have uh, great time hearing from people and get these great insights. But uh, the other aspect of, of my job is to help communicate that um, mm -hmm. to, to leadership or to people who are making decisions. And that's also, I think, a, um, a growing um, type of practice that uh, changes because people are changing. And as we have experiences consuming information in, in other other ways. Um, and we all have to adapt to how we're kind of communicating some of these things because some insights might, you know, depending on what field you're in, might be life, life, uh, um, life or death. And, you know, if you're building a plane um, and sometimes, you know, people who are in some a field called human factors, mm -hmm. um, want to make sure that the, the pilot has uh, a great um, experience and, and, and knows how to access those controls in, in the cockpit um, so that people's lives won't be in, in danger. So that's just oh. an example. Oh, absolutely. And there's another term called design thinking. I've heard that used a different way, human-centered design versus design thinking. And what's the difference there? When you talk about design thinking, that sounds like an uh, asset that uh, someone can have within an organization. Yeah, so design thinking is really, uh, I, I think, a, a subset of uh, 
well, or maybe cousin of human centered <laughs> right. design, uh, where human centered design is really focused on um, really getting close to that context and feedback from real people. Design thinking is a, a practice of um, really rapidly iterating and, and prototyping um, in, a, in a way that's um, uh, really standardized so that you can create more innovative things faster. Mm -hmm. And the innovative thing can be a policy, can be a manual, can be anything, training. So whatever that innovative thing you think is within your organization, having a, a design thinking mindset I think that's probably what what is really about having the people that work within your organization thinking like that, that they can go fast to prototype, experiment, and things like that, right? Um, exactly. Just think it could be beneficial. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely beneficial to have that innovative mindset um, and to go fast, not just to go fast, but to to fail fast and learn really mm -hmm. quickly. So I think that's that's really the outcome of design thinking is to to learn. Um, in new ways that uh, are more, uh, I would say, divergent um, than, and, than convergent. Um, so divergent thinking, um, you know, is a part of that that design thinking process at the beginning where you're able to uh, maybe talk to people and uh, get feedback and observe things and really just brainstorm about a myriad of, of different ideas and, and ways to solve problems. And, and then, um, next in, in that kind of process is to converge on maybe one particular solution and prototype that and to um, go again and, and get, get feedback on, on that mm -hmm. particular solution and then repeat. Uh, so taking those learnings and failing fast so that you can um, quickly iterate um, as we do in design of, of different, uh, different options and, and prototypes to understand what gets closest to Mm -hmm. um, a more innovative way of doing things that that actually works for, for real people. I really like that because sometimes we find ourselves stuck, right, in a process. We don't understand why something's not moving forward or we're not being productive. And sometimes we just need that breakthrough and to, to help solve the problem. And I can see how design thinking and HCD can be used to help create those breakthroughs, especially when it comes to risk management and risk management practitioners, we do get stuck sometimes. It, it just isn't moving fast enough or we just not getting the answer that we actually need. And I can see how uh, design thinking and HCD can be inherently beneficial just by engaging in the process. Um, it, it just gives a whole different perspective, a different spin on what you're doing. For sure. I think all of these things that we're, we're, we're talking about are really giving, like you said, different ways of thinking and getting us outside of kind of the, our, our biases and our, um, our assumptions and thinking about different perspectives and coming up with different ways of, of seeing the, the world, um, whether that's about a product or service or um, the way our other people are, are viewing um, those things. Mm -hmm. Well, especially when you're working in an organizational culture, do you see HCD and design thinking, either one or both of those things helpful in breaking down cultural uh, issues or challenges or, or, or what those norms may be? Yeah, um, some great examples I've seen um, or uh, when I worked in education um, and brought some of these these ways of thinking, um, you know, education is definitely a, a, 
a hot topic in terms of reform and mm-hmm. um, you know changing the way things are are, are done for the better for our, for our kids. Um, but uh, how that happens can definitely be up for debate as well. And um, design thinking, I think, was fit right uh, well into um, not only the way teachers and adults think, but also students as well. Um, mm-hmm. They were happy to kind of think in different ways and um, compared to traditional methods of, um, of of learning. So being able to, like I said, find those different perspectives, whether that's for students um, and thinking about how they're, they're learning or and, and understanding different perspectives and uh, ways of thinking in the world or even um, teacher teachers and, and adults and administrators, um, how they're um, in a safe way um, yeah. trying new things and in, in, in how uh, students will learn. Well, we found out as risk management pr- practitioners that the human factor is something we have to take into consideration, i.e. while I talked about the cultural piece of this. So it was important um, to introduce this into an organization. And, and finally, how would you introduce ACD to an organization? Let's say that day one, I mean, what? how would you introduce it to leaders and, you know, organizations are used to doing things a certain way or they're stuck or they need a breakthrough or we need to resolve and make risk management more effective in organizations? What would you do? You know, I, I think uh, there's a, different methods within human-centered design. And I think uh, one great method is case study. Um, Mm -hmm. So taking a a project and showing how it it works um, in in the field um, and what uh, what could be learned, what didn't work, um, I think is a great way of piloting um, and prototyping. So just using the the, the method in in itself you know, even thinking about, you know, how you might hear uh, people's feedback on what worked and what didn't work in implementing the process and um, using the process for the process, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, taking it, um, uh, piloting it and prototyping and um, seeing what, what works and what doesn't work, I think is a, a good way of doing it, doing it and, um, as opposed to um, going full out um, and changing things up without really knowing what works and doesn't work, which is kind of um, defeats the, the purpose of human-centered design, right? Uh, right. To, to really actually understand how something works by taking this process and going through it, um, really analyzing it and get, um, and seeking those insights that you can get from it. Well, that's fantastic. And for those who don't know, David Harris is a contributing author of the new book, uh, that I wrote, uh, you know, uh, linking enterprise risk management and human-centered design. You can read more about his writings in in that chapter. So, Dave, I want to thank you for your time today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Any last words? Any any words of wisdom? I, I think you know it's it's really exciting to to see how these two things can come together, whether it's human-centered design and uh, risk management. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for companies to uh, get closer to what people are expecting, whether that's the, the people that are working inside an organization or the customers and, and users or um, uh, people who are using the service. So uh, really excited to see what people have um, um, when, when they combine those things.
Awesome. Well, I'm excited too, and can't wait to see what the outcome of, of all this will be. So again, David, thank you for your time for being on Flip This Risk podcast. And I want to thank everyone else for joining me today. I'm Dr. Karen Hardy, and I'll see you next time. Helping you feel secure is our strategy. All the way from the boardroom to the barbershop down the street. Subscribe at flipthisriskpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.